Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Today, we want to talk about some events that are unfolding in Ukraine and Russia and Europe and really the rest of the world. We're all involved in this. And it involves what may be uh, some policies that are making Europe poor and eventually the United States poor and also risking nuclear war. Uh, recently, this week, uh, a wonderful piece was in the Washington Times which is time to negotiate peace between Ukraine and Russia. And the author is my good friend, Dr. Shea Bradley Farrell, who is a foreign policy and national security expert and is president of the Counterpoint Institute for Policy, Research, and Education. Shea, welcome. Hi, Bill. It's so good to be with you today. So, Shay, give us the gist of your, of your piece, of which I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fully in, in agreement with. Well, I appreciate that coming from you. Um, I felt like it was some time for somebody to stand up and say, why are we doing this? We're in enabling a war that is grinding on to kill Ukrainians. We are putting billions of dollars of US taxpayer money, money into Ukraine, um, where I don't believe that they have a chance of winning. NATO's not going to step up and do what they would have to do to cause that to happen. And now we see that Europe is facing this energy crisis that it has uh, a lot of ramifications for industries closing down, for workers not having jobs any longer, and for, quite frankly, a very brutal and cold winter in some parts of the EU. Well, there's so that, a headline today in the art newspaper that the Louvre and all the other major cultural institutions in France are going to start turning the lights off earlier oh because boy. of energy costs. And as I think you pointed out in your article, uh, Russia was providing over 40 percent of the uh, uh, natural gas to Europe. And without that natural gas, Europe is facing a very, very tough winter, um, yes. not only blackouts and 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 no heat, but but possibly starvation. Um, I don't think that's what people bargained for in, in Europe or the rest of the world when they said we need to we need to support the plucky uh, Ukrainians. Yes, I, I agree with you on that. So Europeans are now facing a energy war that they didn't ask for. And you're right, Russia was supplying about 40% of the natural gas to Europe. Um, but here's the thing, they started actually reducing the flow of natural gas to the EU back last summer in 2020, wow. signaling, I believe, uh, an intention to um, put troops along the uh, border of Ukraine and to use this leverage of Russia, you know, Russian's uh, leader, Putin, has historically used energy as a war weapon. He uses it for manipulation. So I just believe that if you were paying attention way back in January, uh, you would have known that sanctions were not going to work because uh, Europe is so reliant on uh, Russian energy, oil and gas. Well, there have been, there've been a lot of headlines recently that uh, Ukraine might win this war and that uh... 
we ought to be, you know, thinking about rebuilding Ukraine. Uh, the president recently said we were supposed to cough up almost $750 billion to rebuild Ukraine. Wow. It seems like this is coming off the rails in terms of uh, common sense. There have been some tactical advances uh, that the Ukrainians have made. What's mm -hmm. your assessment of the Russian army versus the uh, Ukrainian army, and what are the long-term prospects? Well, you don't have to be a military expert, Bill, to understand that Russian army is somewhere around the third or fourth largest in the world or <clears throat> most powerful, and the Ukrainian army, army is somewhere around 24th. Um, and we historically have seen Russia grind on and on in the places where they invade. If you look at the second Chechnyan war, it's something I always like to refer to. If you look at the pictures of Chechnya after this, you it looks to me like a, a lunar landscape because Russia just went in there and they do what it takes to destroy um, cities and people and um, I think that they, they look at war and gaining what they want different from we do. They have a lot more patience. It's not a, a fast thing and then they move on. What's, what's going on with the uh, referendums, right? I don't think that's the Russian word for it, but evidently uh, Putin's have called for a lot of the regional territory bordering mm -hmm. Ukraine to, uh, or maybe even part of Ukraine to uh, uh, recognize that they're part of Russia. And right. that creates a uh, um, territory as part of the Russian state, which uh, Putin has said is inviolate. And if the Ukrainians proceed into that, that'd be tantamount to uh, a declaration, not, not of a, a conventional war, but of a, of a nuclear war. That's right. And I think it's another provocation that he's put out there, uh, along with amassing these 300,000 reservists mobilizing them. Um, I think it's another provocation put out there to the West. Uh, he, his, I believe it was his defense minister actually that said just a couple of days ago, we're in essence fighting a, a collaborative war against the West. So they don't think that they're only facing Ukraine. They think they're facing the whole West. And I don't believe that he will allow himself to be defeated, um, but I, to go back, just to kind of explain, again, I believe in Ukrainian sovereignty. My point is that um, this is not in our national interest to continue throwing billions and billions of dollars at a country that's not a NATO ally. It's not even part of the EU. Um, and we're in a recession right now. This is, this is hard on taxpayers. Our military, we are lacking in some of the equipment that we're sending to Ukraine. So this is not in our best interest. And I believe that it is not in the Ukrainians' best interest because I think Russia will do what they have to do, whether it is continue to reduce energy to the EU and continue to plow through Ukraine and take more territory. So if they've taken, uh, if they have, the Ukrainians have had a tactical territorial victory, good, that's good, I'm glad. But I just don't think long-term it changes anything. Well, the there is a, a negotiation that could be held that would reach an agreement that might satisfy both sides. And we could have had that negotiation um, when this first started. Yes. Uh, but Joe Biden, 
uh, jumped ahead of that saying, we're not going to negotiate, we're going to fight to the last Ukrainian, uh, as some people put it, and uh, we're going to win this war against the Russians. And you you look into that and you begin to see the, the Biden foreign policy establishment. I guess one of his key people was one of the architects of of the Iraq uh, uh, war. And, and uh, they're interested in regime change. I mean, they still blame Putin for getting Trump elected. And they're they're as interested in not so much supporting the Ukrainians, but but trying to get uh, Putin out in Russia. And with that as a goal, that's an incredibly dangerous one. It sure is. I think that he continues to provoke Russia. And certainly we shouldn't be in a, a position where we show fear to Russia. But again, I don't believe that this is our war. Uh, I don't have anything against having sent some uh, money and some aid to Ukraine. And I'd like to point out, just in May, I was in a Ukrainian refugee center in Hungary and got to see firsthand the Ukrainians what, coming what, through. What, what was that like? I mean, what did you what did you see there? What were your impressions? Well, first of all, I was very impressed with the Hungarian government because they had very systematically in a very organized way set up places for refugees to come in, get food, be given a train ticket, a plane ticket, um, whatever it is that they wanted to do to either stay in Hungary, they are providing them with places to say, stay and jobs or to move on into the EU. Which brings me to another point. We're, we're looking at around 6 million displaced Ukrainians. Uh, so it's not just the devastation and destruction, um, but I believe that we are enabling a war that's actually hurting the Ukrainians. And in my opinion, their leadership is not holding in their hearts the best interest of the Ukrainians. I think the leadership has leadership's interests at their best at their best interest. <laughs> well, it's not exactly like they're a fair and free democracy. Hasn't he grabbed pretty much totalitarian powers in Ukraine? That's absolutely true. Um, they have a history of corruption, as you know, in the government. And so that's why I always say to people, you know, put this in context. We're talking about a country that has not been a democratic country necessarily. Um, there's corruption that's rampant, and yet everybody's flying Ukrainian flags. Again, I'm not against Ukrainian sovereignty. Right. Um, but I, honestly, most Americans hadn't even heard of Ukraine before this war started. And I just feel that uh, we've got to put these things in perspective, Bill. Um, I don't know if we talked about this yet, but Russia has actually decreased natural gas uh, flow by 90% to the EU. And we, if you'd like to, let's talk about this too some. We are, the, we are actually, essentially Biden's policies are forcing two of our greatest foes together, Russia and China. Right. They're selling the oil. They're selling natural gas now. I mean, it's a little harder to just switch because of the pipeline requirements, but yeah. that energy is getting sold, and and Russia is actually doing uh, uh, great financially. And their their rubles, yeah. uh, I don't know, it's an all time high, but the rubles up, not down. So here's the thing: everybody keeps saying that Russia's in a bad situation. They're not. They just made in the first half of 2022 a $42 billion 
record profit on natural gas sales. And that's because they squeezed the gas supply starting over a year ago. Prices have shot up. People cannot afford them. There was already a crisis last fall in the EU because of these prices. Um, but they're selling gas to China at a 50% reduced rate through the end of the year. Um, not only that, in February, China and Russia signed this 80 billion 10-year oil and gas deal. Again, uh, Putin has been, I think it's strategic. He's been thinking through this and he's in a good position. And I hate to say it, it's gonna make people angry. I'm just trying to be uh, sensible about this. Um, China has well, usurped well, Europe well, as the oil importer. Go ahead. So what's the basis of a deal? Essentially, I've heard some people, and I, I agree that in a way we pushed, we forced Russia's hand here because Ukraine membership in NATO was a non-starter, and mm -hmm. we kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And it seems like if we drop that one and we said, well, look, NATO's not, not Ukraine is not NATO's future, NATO's not in Ukraine's future, however you want to put it. And then doesn't Russia want access to a warm water port there uh, at the border of Ukraine? Yes, I think so. And I think that they've made it very clear that they don't want NATO up against them, i.e. meaning that if Ukraine were to be um, permitted to enter NATO, I think that's most of Putin's objective is to make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, so there's a I, lot of there's a ahead. lot of saber rattling now on the nuclear front. I want to talk about that in a second, but let's the economic situation. I think for Europe is dire. Um, it is. It's not only it's not only the natural gas to heat homes and 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 run their industry. I mean their industry also. That you know Germany is one of the largest manufacturers of fertilizers and 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 those, that uh, is derived from natural natural gas and so. They're also looking at agricultural crisis in Europe, driven by the cost of uh, energy. And I don't think the Europeans have, have bargained for this. Uh, I don't know whether the French have bargained for the lights being shut off in the Louvre and Versailles. Uh, but also the, the the leadership of the EU, was it Christine Lagarde is president now? Uh, and, and they're now calling for a $140 billion excess profits tax on the natural gas companies in Europe. Hmm. Wow. So at the time you want energy companies to investing in alternative energy sources, they're taking the capital away from them to give to consumers uh, because the policy with Ukraine and Russia has driven the energy prices up. I don't yeah. know. It seems to me like the natives ought to be getting restless pretty soon. They are. Um, you wouldn't believe the number of... Uh, people who live in Europe, friends of mine that have reached out and said, thank you. Yes, this is exactly what we think um, with this article. I mentioned earlier, it was also republished in, in Europe by the European Conservative. And Congratulations, uh, that's great, that's great. <laughs> I think that there are a lot of people, especially in Europe that are weary of this. And yeah, they're facing a crisis that they didn't ask for. And it could get much worse, Bill. Um, I was reading an article not too long ago where analysts in Europe were saying that Putin could actually continue to reduce oil for over, excuse me, natural gas for over a year to Europe without any kind of dire consequences for Putin's economy. So again, 
if you're looking at this in a common sense way, I think it, that we must negotiate peace for the sake of the Ukrainians, for the sake of the EU and our tax dollars. Well, and also for the sake of, of, of avoiding a nuclear uh, uh, cataclysm. Yes. I mean, that, yes. uh, you know, if I'm right, and there's some people that have studied this more closely, is that the, the underlying agenda for the Biden administration is regime change. Trying to bring about regime change in Russia. Russia has 7,000 nuclear warheads all ready to go. And their doctrine is not not first strike doctrine. Their, their doctrine is if we if we need them, we're going to use them. And, and nuclear, there is no such thing as tactical nuclear weapons. It's just a it's just a smaller one, not a it's all or nothing. Nothing's ta it's all or nothing. So we're pushing, pushing, pushing right now as we speak. And the economic consequences are are dire, but also this 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 nuclear game we're playing is reckless. Yes, we are escalating a war that we don't need. Um, we've seen in other places in the Middle East, for example, where we pushed for regime change and it hasn't helped anything. It left a vacuum, which made things much worse. It's also, I, I just believe, escalating a war that the U.S. doesn't have any kind of interest in. Um, you know, the, the best case scenario, sure, I'd love to see Putin out of office, but is that what the U.S. needs to do right now um, for our own interest? Well, we all wanted Hussein out of office, and that that turned out not all that well. Um, it sure did, Bill. And you know what? Biden's foreign policy, I always say foreign policy, because I, you know, early on, I really wanted to give it a chance. <laughs> I did with Obama, too. I had high hopes. Um, but we saw last August how he totally has uh, made the U.S. a laughingstock on the world stage where we abandoned our allies in Afghanistan and left Americans to die, left billions of dollars of equipment. So he, I don't know if he has a foreign policy. Uh, it is certainly not the model of deterrence that the Trump administration used because that model of deterrence uh, didn't, did not, uh, encourage uh, Putin to put troops along the border of Ukraine and invade Ukraine. And um, I, I think that Biden has totally abandoned any kind of model of deterrence, which is what we need exactly to deter our adversaries from strengthening alliances and from uh, threatening us and our allies. So our message, your message, my message is we ought to be talking with everybody and everybody who's listening and watching this should be saying, look, guys, we, we do care about Ukraine and sovereignty, but there are limits to how much we can, we, can, we can risk here. And we've got to be pragmatic, both economically and more importantly, uh, uh, with regard to the nuclear potential for nuclear exchange. Final Absolutely. thought, I, I know I've got to get, I know you've got to run off to another, another affair. Uh, final thought. Well, I appreciate the chance to talk about this. I was initially nervous about putting my views out there <laughs> that we need to negotiate peace because some people are very uh, violently against that. Um, but strangely, since I put that piece out there, I've had a lot of people come to me, some of them high up in the conservative movement actually and say, thank you for saying this. We actually believe that as well, but we're, you know, in, uh, hindered in some way from actually saying it. 
And of course, uh, some governments in Europe have reached out and said the same thing and uh, friends in Europe. I think that more people want to talk about peace. And right now, I believe that Russia, that Putin is signaling that he could be ready for that. Fantastic. Well, let's hope that's the case. Uh, Dr. Shea Bradley Farrell, my friend, uh, president of the Counterpoint, Counterpoint Institute for Policy Research and Education. Uh, thanks. And let's plan on following up uh, sometime in the near future as this thing uh, unfolds, because uh, it's something everybody would be watching closely. So, Shea, yes. thanks for thanks for joining. And, and y'all, thanks for uh, watching and listening. And I hope you'll you'll share this show and our link to the BillWaltonShow.com. We're on CPAC now uh, every uh, Monday night, and we may be going to um, other nights in, in the near future. Um, we're trying to get points of view out here that are not commonly out there. And I hope you'll share this because I think we're, we're saying things that are true and uh, will help us make better decisions. So anyway, thanks and uh, see you next time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guests on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.